Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue on with the series of blessed on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Jesus is teaching his followers what it is to live like in the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus said the kingdom of God is now, and then we also know that the kingdom of God is coming. And the idea is that we live as if Jesus Christ is our king now because he is. And so how do people in the kingdom live with Jesus being on the throne of heaven and us being his people? How are we to live? And that's what Jesus is talking about here as he talks about the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. I'm going to read, I'm going to start in uh, verse 2, and then I'm going to read all the way through as we kind of get through this series. Some of them are review. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You have to mourn to be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Pastor Sean spoke about that last week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Verse 7 and 8 is where we are. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Precious Father, we're going to look at the merciful and the pure of heart. And I pray, Lord God, that you would illuminate your word to us, that it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that we would not be hearers of the word only, but we would be doers of your word. We ask, Lord God, that you would use this word, Lord God, like a sharp, powerful, double-edged sword. You would use it in the hands of your Holy Spirit to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. God, teach us your word. Conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, thank you, Father. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting, God has a sense of humor because I am not merciful and I am not a peace, I'm not a... uh, pure of hard person. 
Um, and so when Pastor Sean handed out the, the, the sermon assignments and it just happened to fall to me to teach you on how to be merciful and how to be pure of heart, I'm here to tell you that this does not come naturally to me. In fact, when I took a spiritual gifts test on mercy, I got a zero out of zero. And I'm going to teach you about mercy. <laughs> Don't you think that's funny? I think it's hysterical. And um, so as I was studying this, I was like, God, I, man, this is rough. And so as I was preparing for this, God was teaching this to me and powering me, um, just, just, just pounding me with this truth. Just because it doesn't come naturally to us, it does not mean that we are not to live this way. That God calls us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And in that, we are to be merciful. In that, we are to be pure of heart. And so these are the, the characteristics that I think best reflect God's character. I'll tell you why I'm not. I, I grew up with three brothers. I have an older brother and two younger twin brothers, and I'm competitive. And in fact, mercy's for the weak. I sound like Cobra Kai, don't I? You know, it's the idea that I want to win. And showing mercy means I might lose. And it's all about winning. And I took the motto at a young age, you show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I took the motto that, you know, it's not winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. In fact, I wanted to not just win, but I wanted to destroy my opponent in the process. And we're going to look at blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy, right? And so if you're competitive, if you are competitive and you, everything within you is all about this, let me share something with you. We still have to be merciful. And I want to kind of define for you what it is to be merciful and what it is to be pure of heart. And we're going to kind of unpack this scripture here. And the first one is mercy. And if you're taking notes, pull out your pen, your pencil, your lipstick, mascara, whatever you want to write with, and write this down. Mercy is compassion and forgiveness shown towards someone who deserves punishment or harm. Mercy is compassion and forgiveness. It's the convergence of compassion and forgiveness. That's where you'll find mercy. If you say I'm compassionate, but don't offer forgiveness, then guess what? You cannot be merciful. If you offer forgiveness, but don't show compassion, you cannot be merciful. It is the convergence of both compassion and forgiveness in which we find mercy. In fact, when Jesus was teaching this to his followers, you need to understand first century Palestine, the Roman Empire is in charge. And everything comes under the foot of the Roman Empire. And the Romans established their empire based upon cruelty and fear. And so if somebody, if somebody killed a Roman citizen, then guess what? Five of the local commoners were going to be killed. Because their entire goal was to demonstrate that they were in charge and mercy was not in their vocabulary. And so Jesus, all who hope that Jesus is the Messiah, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is sitting down and basically Jesus 
who's going to come and bring freedom for Rome. It's going to establish his kingdom. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Is not what they wanted to hear. They wanted Jesus to come and to rule and reign, to, to stomp out the, the Romans. And they wanted to do it quickly, and they wanted to do it justly, and they wanted to absolutely, because they were seeking justice for their oppressors. They wanted justice. And Jesus the Messiah was going to come and bring justice. And Jesus is preaching a gospel of mercy. How in the world are we going to make Jesus the Messiah when he's preaching mercy? We look at this and we see the convergence of compassion and forgiveness. And there's two traits that Jesus demonstrated as he demonstrated mercy. And I want to just go through it with you. The first one was compassion. Christ had compassion for people who were harassed and helpless. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for the harassed and the helpless. In fact, Jesus' compassion went so far as to help those that were in need. He would always come along and help people. As you see the life of Jesus unfold in the Gospels, you see that Jesus' compassion motivated him and with, with these people that he was interacting with on a daily basis. Compassion was at the forefront of Jesus' ministry. The second thing that we see, the second trait that emerged that demonstrated mercy in Jesus' life was that of forgiveness. Christ forgave people who did not know what they were doing. In fact, in Luke chapter 23, verses, verse 34, he's hanging on the cross and he looks at his followers and he looks at those that are below him and he looks up to the Father and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus forgave people that put him on a cross. He had done nothing wrong, and he was crying out for forgiveness for them. He forgave them. Father, forgive them. He was crying for God to forgive them. It wasn't just him forgiving them. He was asking God to forgive them. We look at these two traits. We see compassion. We see forgiveness. I think it's best demonstrated. Turn, turn over in your scripture a few pages to, to Matthew chapter 18. Everybody turn in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the uh, chairs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take it with you because it's our gift to you. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Matthew chapter 18, we see Jesus telling this story. And I think that this best demonstrates this idea of compassion and mercy intersected as he tells this parable. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often... Will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Verse 25 of Matthew 18. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife 
and children and all they had and payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees imploring him. Now understand, 10,000 talents is more than all the printed money in this day. So it's like the national debt, okay, for the United States, okay? So like there's more than the printed money. This man owed 10,000 talents. His wife and children and all that he had so payment could be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience on me and I will pay you everything. This man could not pay this. This man could not pay this. And out of pity for him, compassion, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. So there's compassion and forgiveness. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him. That's not even a year's wage. You got one denarii for a day's wage. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Excuse me. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? There's that word mercy. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly father, now listen to this, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is teaching that if you don't demonstrate mercy, you will not get mercy. Jesus is saying, you're blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. When you're merciful, you will get mercy. Compassion and forgiveness. Jesus demonstrated See, the problem is most people don't feel like they should give mercy because they never received mercy. They've never received mercy. And so they don't want to give it. Well, that I didn't get any mercy for that. Why would I give mercy? Or they feel that other people deserve the punishment. They they then they get what they've got coming to them. Karma, right? And you're going to get what you deserve. Well, we're Christians. When Christians say that, I was like, we're Christians. I don't believe in karma. What goes around comes around. And we all think, yay, justice has been served. Revenge. Did you know in Scripture, it never says for us to ever seek justice. It says for us to do justice, but it says it never says for us to seek justice. It says for us to give mercy. It says for us to give mercy. In fact, it says for us to give mercy to everyone that we come in contact with because if we forgive, if we don't forgive those that have wronged us, the Bible says God won't forgive us. That if we don't give mercy, we will never receive mercy. Wait a second, Pastor Andrew. Wait, 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 wait a second. I'm a Christian. Just because I hold a grudge against somebody, just because I haven't forgiven somebody doesn't mean God... God's going to forgive me anyway. And I'm telling you, listen, if you're a real Christian, you have to forgive. If you're a true Christian, you have to have mercy. If you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you need to repent of it. 
Because God, the Bible says, God will not forgive you. He will not give you mercy if you don't give mercy. Wait, 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 wait. No, there's no waiting. Wait a second, you don't understand. You don't know what this person did to me. Hey, I know what they did to Jesus Christ on that cross, and he had done nothing. And he, from the cross, cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He gave mercy and forgiveness, compassion for those. If we're his followers, if we're to be blessed, we have to be people that give mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Christ says, give mercy and you will receive mercy. If you give mercy, you will receive mercy. And this is not laterally, but I believe that Jesus is talking vertically as well. Look at all of the passages of Scripture. We're to be dealers of mercy. This is counterintuitive to what's happening in the world. Think about it. Somebody wrongs us. We cancel them. We cancel them. And we never do it. You're dead to me. I never want to do anything with you again. I can't interact with you anymore. I never want to talk to you anymore. That's what the culture is saying. And God has called us to be merciful. This people, these Christians, us Christians, ought to be the most merciful people in this world. We should never cancel anyone. We should offer people hope and forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ who lives the gospel, who died on the cross for our sins, who bodily rose from the dead, and by faith when we receive him into our life, when we repent, believe, and receive, we have eternal life. We ought to be people of mercy. Who's wronged you? Who's wronged you? I'm talking really wronged you. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a former spouse. Maybe it's a former child that never wants anything to do with you anymore. You forgive. Show compassion and give them mercy because that's what Christ has done for us and we ought to do for others. Think about, but God demonstrated his love towards us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated mercy on the cross for us. And why should we think we're any better to offer anything but that same mercy to everyone we come in contact with, Christian? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I need mercy every moment of every day, just like I need the gospel every moment of every day. And that comes because I am a violator of God's law. But this person did this to me. Yep. Guess what? I'll leave that justice to the Lord. Wait a second. Wait, wait. Here's the deal. If you don't think you've done anything wrong, or if you don't think you've done it that bad, then you don't know the scripture. The Bible says that if you've, if you've missed on one commandment, you're guilty of them all. That means you've broken all 10 of the 10 commandments. 
well, I haven't killed anybody. Yes, yes, you have. If you've broken one of the commandments, you're guilty of them all. Let's go through the Ten Commandments. You guys know the Ten Commandments? Let's go through them. Ready? Number one. Everybody hold up your finger. Number one. Number one. God's number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Come on, come on, come on. Everybody hold up your finger. Number one. Number two. Cut out idols. Cut out idols. Cut out idols. Thou shalt have no other idols. No graven images. Okay, number three. It's a W. Watch your words. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't think you're so self-righteous either that if you sing praise and worship songs and you're not thinking about God, you're using the Lord's name in vain. Oh, that was always convicting for me. Ouch, okay? Guess what? Number four. What's the thumb doing? It's resting. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Everybody put down your thumb. You see it? Thumb resting, sleeping. Oh, nice. Number five. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the face of the earth. Honor your father and mother. Number six, this is my favorite. Number six, everybody hold it up. Come on, come on, come on. You don't have to make the sound effect, but it's my favorite. Don't kill. All right? Don't kill. All right? Number seven. Dun, dun, da, dun, 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 dun. Marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Don't mess it up by committing adultery. Don't commit adultery. Number eight, we go to double fours. Number eight, don't steal or go to jail. Okay? Number nine, this thumb is out in the light. This thumb has got its thumb behind its back. What's going on here? This, this, this thumb is walking in the light. This one's bearing false witness. Don't bear false witness. Number 10, don't covet. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Don't covet. The Bible says if you've violated or broken one of the Ten Commandments, you're guilty of them all. If you've lusted after somebody, you're guilty of adultery. If you hated someone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. We are all without excuse. All of us need the mercy of God. And we ought to take this mercy and not just take it for ourselves, but we ought to be dealers of it with every single person that's wronged us. Wait a second, you don't understand. They said lies about me. Yes, and they did it to Jesus. Wait a second, they were mean to me. Yes, they spit in his face and they whipped him. Wait a second. They, 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 they did everything that anybody could do again. Yes, yes. Here's the deal. People that live in mercy understand this. There's not, listen, and because here's the deal. It doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter what I say about me. All that matters is what Christ says about me. And he's my identity. And when he's my identity, guess what? I can live in mercy and I can freely give mercy because I've received mercy. I don't have to defend myself. Yes, I'm a train wreck. My life is a mess, and I need Christ every moment of every day in my life. And he is conforming me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, I can give forgiveness. You can give forgiveness because we've received mercy. Jesus says, give mercy, receive mercy. Second thing, pure of heart. I love that pure of heart it's wholesome untainted not mixed with other materials 
What's so amazing here, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Jesus is giving them something that Moses himself didn't get. Remember Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20, he asks to see the glory of God. And God says, no one can see my face or no one can see me and live. But Jesus is saying the pure in heart can see me. The pure in heart can see me. See, I think pure in heart people are the ones that are going to change the least when we get to heaven. Think about that. See, because I think sometimes we're so sophisticated, educated, mature, that we can't run barefoot through the grass, stop and smell the flowers, commit to laughing out loud. When's the last time you laughed? You laughed so much that you started to cry. And you, I'm talking not like, <laughs> I'm talking about committing to laugh. Like full on. <laughs> I'm talking belly laugh. Oh, that's a little improper. We're not British, we're American, man. We got our freedoms. All right? When's the last time? Because here's the deal. So the... There's two traits that demonstrate pure of heart, and I want to give it to you because Jesus discussed it. One of them, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and don't forbid them, for the, such is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Unless you become like a little child, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talked about being childlike. Childlikeness demonstrates a pure heart. I'm not talking about being childish, I'm talking about childlikeness. Childlikeness is remembering what it's like to be a kid. And not being upset about it. <laughs> Childlikeness is this idea that, and in these, these are the ones that are pure in heart. This is a trait that's demonstrated. I think Jesus was extremely playful with the children. Come on, kids, come on up. What? I'm a little too mature for that. No, see, what's happened is when we're not childlike, we're jaded, untrusting, hidden from others, no fun, only fear. We're quick to offense, quick to cancel those who don't agree with us, and we're unbelieving. That's the opposite of childlikeness. Live in awe over the things that are cool. My son and I were watching the, the windshield wipers go. He's like, man, I feel like there's like a, a, a race between the windshield wipers. Like one comes down and then the other one wipes it over. And who's going to win? And then I turn it off and I go, whichever one, I turn off fast. And we started laughing about that. But he was just in awe of that. Childlikeness is my, my eight-year-old and my five-year-old. And, and they fight. My five-year-old clubbed my eight-year-old. And he's He's crying and he's got a mark. And I was like, whoa, that was horrible. What are you doing? And he's like, and he goes up to him and he goes, I'm so sorry. And he gives him a hug. And then my eight-year-old says, it's okay, I forgive you. And literally in like two minutes, they're off playing together and they don't even remember what happened. What a way to live, right? Me, I would have been like, I would have held a grudge for at least three days, man, because that mark's going to last for three days. And every time I look in the mirror, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to get that eight, I'm going to get that five-year-old. 
No, we're to live childlike. In the abolition of man, C.S. Lewis wrote, he said, childishness is selfishness at the core, but childlikeness is awe and wonder in knowing that there is a God that we can't understand and it's beautiful. When have we lost this? Can we even remember when we sold out to adulthood? So I'm driving, so I'm flying back from Jordan a week ago, and there's a, I would say she's probably about eight, and she's sitting behind me, and she's letting, she's dancing to the music because she's kicking her feet on my chair, and I'm going like this as I'm keeping the rhythm. And her mom was trying to stop her and the flight attendant was trying to stop her and all this stuff. And, and everything within me wanted to respond like an adult. You know, so angry. I mean, this is a 12-hour flight. I was like, come on. Because in that moment, I forgot what it was like to be eight on a 12-hour flight. Shoot, if I would have thought about it long enough, I would have wanted to kick the chair in front of me. You know, on a 12-hour flight, I would kick that person in front of me. But I just remember thinking, and what's so amazing is God always like puts me in the situations when I'm about to preach it, because I'm about to preach this. Oh my goodness, what is it like to be pure of heart? Oh! And I prayed and I just said, Lord, just help me. And so what I did was I turned around, I got out of the chair and I, I, I knelt down and I had some little dollar toys. I always bring little dollar toys and just give them to kids and stuff. It's real easy. And I, I knelt down and I said, hey, here's some toys. Would you like to play with these? And I said, and I said, can you please just stop kicking the, the, the chair? Well, she just like burst out screaming and crying in that moment. I was like, oh my goodness. She didn't speak English. She spoke Arabic. Okay. So that was, that was a lot of it, but her mom knew what was going on. But in that moment, when I had that little connection, she stopped. She stopped kicking my chair. And I could have responded in a really, really gruff way, or I could have just had fun with it. And in that moment, God allowed me to have fun with it, knowing I was going to preach this and I would have had to have answered to all of you. No, God wants us to be childlike. Smell the flowers. Live in awe and wonderment. Look up at the stars and go, man, God, you do good stuff. Where did they come from? Run around. When, they, when a kid's skipping through the store, join him. Skip with him. Remember what it was like. I there there's certain people that just that just live this way. And Jesus called these calls these people pure in heart and they'll see God. They'll see God long before any of the rest of us. Blessed are the pure in heart. I love watching grandparents with their grandkids. Because the grandparents get to remember what it's like to be a kid. At least the great ones do. I remember my grandparents, the things we used to do. I mean, they, they, they would let us eat ice cream first before dinner. They would let us. I mean, I was like, this is incredible. You guys are the greatest people ever. I can't believe you raised my parents and you messed up so bad. That was my thought anyway. I'm like, how did you, how did you raise this man with my dad? He's not fun at all. You're fun. Ah, because they were childlike. 
that demonstrates a pure heart. The second thing that demonstrates a pure heart here in Scripture that we see is transparency. It demonstrates a, hu- a pure heart through con- confession. James chapter 5, Jesus, the, James, the writer of James says the, in the epistle, he says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another you would be healed. When we confess, there's a transparency to recognize that God has forgiven us. And when we live in that transparency and that confession, then guess what? There's a beauty that comes to know that we've been forgiven. If God's word says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And so it doesn't matter then, again, it doesn't matter what I say about myself. It doesn't matter what you say about me. All that matters is what God says about me. I've been forgiven. And yet bring bring it. Bring the accusations. Bring the accusations. Because guess what? They're probably true. And if they're not, they probably will be. And, and, and I know that I'm set free because of Christ. And so I don't have to hold on to anything. I can give mercy freely. I can live childlike. I can walk in transparency and confession. Some of us aren't free because we're so bound up by the things that we've done in our past that we can't share with anybody. Do you realize that we have small groups and we're to grow in community in small groups and that small groups exist for us to feel less alone? And the best small groups are the ones that come, tra- that come when they decide they're going to be transparent. And let me share with you how it happens. It always happens with one person. One person says, I'm going to get transparent. They get transparent about something in their life that they need prayer for. And then everyone says, oh my gosh, she's not perfect. Well, neither am I. And then they share their imperfection. And everybody in the group kind of shares. And what happens is there's healing that takes place because you realize you're not as messed up as everybody is. You realize you're more messed up. No, you realize that we're all messed up and that we all need Christ and that we all need the gospel. And so when we come together as Coastal Church, it's all of us coming together and in the gospel. Then we trust God that he's forgiven us. And even if they use that information and say, well, that person is this and this, yep. I was telling my son, I said, don't run away from it when, you're, when your roommate makes fun of you of something in your room because he sees the privacy of what's happening and he exposes it to people to make you the butt of the joke. Run to it. He would, his roommate was exposing him, trying to impress him in front of some girls. And, 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 I, and he was like, yeah, and it just made me so angry and I didn't know what to do. And I said, listen, next time run to it. Because my son, the alarm goes off once and he hits it. And then it goes off again and he hits it again. And then again. I don't know, some of you are like this. And then you hit the alarm about like six times. Okay? And so he was like exposing, man, you never get up and the alarm's always off. And then, you know, and they make waking up the whole room. It's incredible. And, 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 and my son goes, I don't even know how to respond. And I looked at him and I said, respond by running to it. Six times? No, man, it's more like 10 is what you need to say. Make it worse. Make it an obvious exaggeration. Enjoy the fact that Christ redeems even that part of your life and that he's conforming me more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. 
as he can conform us all into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. We must not hide Christ in us. He provides the purity and we provide the heart. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. All the things that you hate about yourself, all the things, the sin that you've done, all the sin that you've committed, let me share something with you. It is as scarlet, but it can be made white as snow. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Or who can understand it? Do you know who understands it? God understands it. Then everybody's heart is filthy. Everybody's heart is dirty. Everybody's heart is wicked. And Christ takes these wicked hearts when you, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he bodily rose from the dead, and when we repent of our sins and we receive Christ into our life, guess what? He makes all things new, even our heart. And therefore, in that moment, we offer him our heart twisted, broken, messed up, and he takes it and he purifies it. And he makes it bleeding and alive. So all of us can be pure of heart, regardless of how twisted and broken your past is. Your past doesn't define you. You don't define you. Others don't define you. Christ defines you. And when we start living that way, then what happens is when people are sharing in their small group their junk, we can look and go, is that all? There's nothing you could have done that Christ hasn't paid for. There's nothing you could say that Christ hasn't paid for on the cross. That's why we need the gospel. Then we lay hands on each other and we, we love Christ more. Remember what Jesus said to the woman that was like weeping over his feet? And he said, those that have been forgiven much, love much. We should love much because we recognize we've been forgiven much. And I'm not just talking about loving God. I'm talking about loving each other. That other people can be forgiven too. The problem is we don't love. 1 Corinthians 13, we're so good at keeping records of wrong. And from 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love keeps no records of wrong. And if you're keeping records of wrong against your spouse, check it because you probably don't love her or love him. They're imperfect. They need your mercy, not your justice. Remember, we don't seek justice. We seek mercy. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that we're to come before the throne of God and find mercy for mercy so that we can find grace. We come for mercy and God gives us grace. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is not getting what we deserve and getting the benefit of something far better. We provide our heart. He provides our purity. If you're here today and you need to do business with God because you've never forgiven somebody, you've never given mercy, or your heart's not pure, it's real simple. If you need prayer, there'll be some people up here afterwards that would love to pray with you. I want to close with this. I, I think we're in a society where everybody's seeking justice. And nowhere 
ever once in Scripture does it say seek justice. It says do justice, Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, but it doesn't say seek justice. It says seek mercy. My wife was driving and we were having this conversation, this was a while ago, but she got pulled over because she was speeding. And, and the police pulls her over. It's been a bad week for my wife, and my wife was just distraught. And the, the, the policeman comes up, and she looked, and she just said, mercy, I need mercy. And he was like, well, you broke the law. And she said, I didn't ask for justice. I asked for mercy. Mercy. I just need mercy. I just need you to give me mercy. Please, mercy. Well, the cop didn't know what to do, and he's like, she just keeps asking for mercy. So he goes back to the car, and he comes back, and he's like, okay, just go. See, I would have been like, <laughs> please don't give me the ticket. He's like, I'm going to give you two tickets for being such a jerk, you know, or whatever. No. When we come before God, we're not asking for justice. We're asking for mercy, and we ought to offer mercy to everyone we come in contact with. And not just mercy for us, but mercy for others. Leave the justice to God. God will, God's just. He's going to be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. Romans says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Justice is God's. It's not ours. We're not to be people of justice in regards to us seeking and pursuing and getting and demanding justice. No, we're to be people of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. We're to be people of mercy, not justice. Justice is all the Lord. Leave the justice to God. We embrace mercy because we've received mercy. See how that works? Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. We've received mercy, so therefore we need to be merciful. Precious Father, I just thank you for every person here. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be pure of heart. God, we offer you our heart. It's all broken and tattered and messed up, Lord God. And I, God, I just thank you for providing the purity that came through the gospel and your son, Jesus Christ. God, we seek mercy. Help us to be merciful. Help us to be pure of heart, Lord God, so that we can see you, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for every person that's here, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that if somebody's here that's got unforgiveness in their heart or no compassion, I pray, Lord God, you would make them compassionate, that you would give them forgiveness. Break their hard heart, Lord, right now. Those that are not childlike, those that are not transparent, I pray, Lord God, that they would stop with the pride and the protecting, and they would release that to you, Lord God. They would confess their sins to you, Lord God, right? And God, you would wash. 
Though their sins be as scarlet, they can be white as God. Thank you, Lord God, for the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray. If you need to do business with God, there'll be some people up here afterwards that would love to take a Bible and pray with you. There'll be people in the prayer chapel in the back as well. Don't leave here without releasing the anger, the unforgiveness, the things. Let's, let's lift free.